All right, church, good morning. Welcome to Crossroads Ministries. I want to thank you for being here this morning. For those of you joining us online, I want to thank you for being here and tuning in. If you're in the auditorium this morning, would you please stand up and worship with us here this morning? Praise me, my 
Good morning. You can have a seat. Good to be with you. Welcome those online. Thanks for joining us. Listen, we uh, we have a lot we have a lot happening, and we're we're rolling into spring. And you know, we see snow in the forecast this week, but we'll see what happens, right? Um, you know, whoever that weather person is, we, it doesn't matter, right? But uh, we're just going to keep going. But I want to share with you um, one that we are thankful uh, for what God is giving us the opportunity to be a part of. Um, and so one of those things is, is by welcoming our guests. If we have any guests here in the building or online, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're here in the building, please stop by the Welcome Center as you leave so we can connect with you. Just to give you something uh, by just saying, hey, here's a free gift by just saying thank you for being a part of our church today and hanging out with our family and being one of our guests. If you're online, let us know. We can connect with you online. Uh, and just connect with you and share more information about what we're all about. And our mission here at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. In all things, that's what we do. And so one of those things coming up is April 9th is going to be our extravaganza. That's going to be our egg hunt, right? And so, yeah, I heard a whoop. Um, <laughs> But listen, uh, a couple things. One, if you would like to be a part of the team to serve, um, there is an informational meeting right after this service here in the auditorium. Uh, so please stick around. Uh, be a part of that. If you're serving on that team, stick around. Uh, the, Kim and Chris are going to lead that uh, that team meeting and just talk more about the event and what's happening. So stick around for that informational meeting for to be a part of the um, serving with that team. The other thing, too, is sign up your kids and then encourage those in your community, those in your friend circles, your families to, to and you know sign their kids up it's going to be a great day um i think there's already like 800 kids signed up it's it's something like that 700 800 kids so that's wonderful um yeah that's wonderful you know because we get this opportunity to, to connect with these kids and their families and give them a little picture of who we are um which you know we're nothing without christ right and so we got something to share. So we're looking forward to April 9th. And then um, coming up uh, right after that, we're having our Good Friday uh, night of worship and communion um, at 7 p.m. right here on the auditorium. And so we're going to have uh, just a night of, of music, a night of uh, communion. And also um, we're going to, you know, Cody uh, Sable, uh, the finger, the, the speed painter is going to be here. So please uh, plan to be a part of just a night of reflection on the cross and just uh, focusing on what Jesus has done for us. And then we have our Easter gatherings. Uh, Saturday at 6 and then Sunday at 9.30 and 11. So it's going to be just a, 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 just, a, just several days of reflection and celebration. And truly, we can do that all the time, right? We can celebrate the cross. We can reflect on what Christ has done for us. And we can move forward saying that we have hope um, and that we have purpose because of what Jesus did for us. So every day truly is Easter. Uh, so we're looking forward to our Good Friday and uh, our Easter gatherings. So make sure you plan to join us for one of those. Would you guys pray with me as we continue on? Lord, thank you for being um, here with us, for just encouraging our hearts, Lord. And I also um, just thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your people and giving. And Lord, also uh, just uh, giving of their time, giving of uh, the, the, their gifts, Lord, that their financial gifts. Uh, God, thank you for uh, just challenging us as your church. Um, to just to follow you in the world that we live in. Um, Lord, we're, we're doing our best. And um, we just know that at the end of the day, no matter how good we are, it's just not good enough. Um, and that, that's just a greater understanding of how we need you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for 
um, the songs that we've sung, and Lord, the song we're about to sing, and Lord, as we're about, uh, about to open up your word, Lord, encourage us and challenge us to be more like your son, Jesus. We ask all things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.
just praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for allowing us the opportunity to come together as a group of people that want to praise your name, that want to worship you. No matter where we're at in life, Lord God, whether we're up on a high mountaintop right now or we're in the valley right now, Lord God, we ask that you will just help us to remember to praise the Father. Just lifting your name up, Lord, just will lift us up. Just very um, saying your your name from our lips, Lord, is just praise. And, and we just want to ask that as we've gathered here together that we will continually just praise your name. As Ken opens the word today, it is living, Lord God. And we ask that every word that he speaks this morning, somehow we will just know that it comes directly from you, Lord God, that it penetrates our souls and allows us to see more of you and a glimpse of you, Lord God, as we prepare to celebrate the rising from the dead of your son. Lord, we love you and we praise your name because you are worthy of all of our praise. Amen. great day, huh? Man, I'll tell you what, I could sing that song we just sang every Sunday. Every time we say that, I tell you that. So fair warning, one of these days, Kyle, you just might be singing it every week, all right? I love it. I love it. Man, I'll tell you, just uh, before we jump into the message, just one little family thing here. Uh, I got wind that one of the uh, ladies in our church had a 95th birthday last Sunday. Joy, would you please stand? I got to recognize you, 95. Turn around. <clears throat> she is so sweet. She came up and said, I just want to let you know I wasn't here because my family took me out to celebrate for 95th year, 95 years. I'm like, at 95, you have a free pass to do whatever you want. Man, a day. There's not too many 95s that are. What's that? Yeah, as long as God agrees. As long as God agrees. She still drives. She, st- she does it all, man. She's awesome, man. I said, I want a vial of her blood. <clears throat> so uh, please see me afterwards. I'll get the transfusion, okay? 95, 95. We're so thankful for our church family, aren't you? What a great family. I thank God. I thank God for you. Have I told you lately that I love you? You know, and I want you to know that I really do love your crossroads. This is our family up here. This is where God's called us to be. And while we want to reach the world for Christ... There's nobody to do it better than with your family. And you are my family. And I appreciate you and I love you. And it has been a joy uh, every step of the way. And I look forward to our greatest days are yet to come. Amen? The greatest days. Amen. The greatest days are yet to come. Um, we've, we've weathered a lot through the years. We've weathered a pandemic and whatever else is going on in our world but I'll tell you what, God is going to do some incredible things. I want to encourage as we approach Easter, man, just take those little circle invites that Luke showed you and just 
Man, just take those things. We gave them to you when you came in, not so that you would know, but so that you would tell somebody else about Easter. You already know it's happening, right? And if you're 50 or over, for me, like I have to like really put my glasses on. So what that means is we don't want you just to hand it out. We want you to invite somebody. Put it in somebody's hand and say, hey, I'd like to, like to invite you to Easter at our church. We're having a great time. You will hear about the love of God. And uh, just watch what God will do. 80% of the people uh, that, uh, 80% of people said if they were invited, they would come. And so not if they saw a slick ad, not if they saw a Facebook ad, not if they saw anything on TV, but if somebody personally invited them. So I want to encourage you. Uh, that's pretty high, high odd, isn't it? 80%. Think about it. You're here because somebody invited you. And I want to encourage you to take these and, uh, go out and get 10 or 20 of them. Yesterday I was out at, uh, at, we went to breakfast. We like to go to breakfast on Saturday mornings. And I said, you know, I'm going to be telling the people about this tomorrow, so I better invite this waitress to the church. And so I invited the waitress to church. She said, she said, that's the only day off that I have. I said, well, that's the only day you're coming to church. <laughs> and, uh, and I just was real, real focused on it. And I said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'd love to have you be our guest. And she said, well, bring me some more information next week. So I have to do more ministry Saturday morning. <laughs> At the uh, at the breakfast club, right? So I'll be I'll be out having breakfast, inviting people. And I want to encourage you take take a number of these, have them on you. I didn't have one on me yesterday, but I still had my mouth, and I said, "Hey, come on up to church with us." And so we're looking forward to that. I hope you've been enjoying our series as we've been going through this series of the 24 hours, the final 24 hours in the life of Christ. Like this is it. We're coming in for the landing. This is what he says, man. This was the last ounce of everything man this 24 hours is powerful and it's been a little bit heavy hasn't it like we, we started out with a heavy it was at the lord's supper at the last supper and man the, the disciples thought it was just going to be this wonderful day and then he says one of you are going to betray me one of you are going to let me down one of you is going to make sure that i die and and they were all like whoa, whoa it's not me it's not me and he write, rewrites the script of the Passover. This bread, this this juice, this is all about me. So he he like he gets a new new meaning to these things. And, and then he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays for several hours. He, Lord, please let this cup pass from me. Like like Jesus knew the brutality of the crucifixion. Last week we talked about this. We said that even the Ro- the Romans have had to make up a word. For pain, and it, it, we, we call it excruciating. When you say the word excruciating today, that is the same word in Latin for out of the crucifixion. So when you say excruciating, you're, you're referring to this Latin word. It means out of the crucifixion. From the pain, the same type of pain that's in the crucifixion. And, and needless to say, I don't have excruciating pain like that, do I? But, but listen, Jesus knew what was excruciating. He knew what was coming. He knew the next step. And he's in the garden. He's like, Lord, Father God, if there's any way that you could do this a different way, is there any way, let this cup pass from me. And three times he goes before the Father. Well, he continues on. We saw, we walked through the journey as he went through the trial before the religious people, before Annas and, and, and Caiaphas and before the Sanhedrin. And so he was bounced all around for, for those trials. And then he goes over to Pilate. Pilate sends him over to Herod. And last week we took you right through the trial of Pilate. He stands before Pilate and Pilate says, who should I free, Barabbas or Jesus? Should I, which savior do you want? Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And the crowd uh, overwhelmingly chooses Barabbas because Barabbas could give them something that they wanted now. 
like Barabbas was trying to overthrow Rome. And so he he goes at it and he says, all right, I'm going to bring that. That's who we want. That's who the crowd chose. And we're going to pick up here in Mark 15, 15, where we left off last week, wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged or flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Uh, Jesus, Jesus here, Jesus is about to ready to go to the cross. And as you go and you look over in the book of John, John lays it out with a little bit more detail. We see like, as you're reading here, he says, after having him scourged. So what happened was Pilate took him up and, you know, who do you want? Barabbas, you know, what should I do with this innocent man? Comes out again. What should I do with this innocent man? And in between number two and number three, if you go read in John chapter 19, you'll see that before he comes out the last time to let the crowd make their choice, he has Jesus flogged. He has Jesus scourged. And what this, this was a well-known thing of the day, how they would treat criminals who were going to the cross. Uh, I have a picture here of a whip that they would use. And the, the whip was, a, it was a, a wooden-handled whip with a bunch of leather thongs on it. And tied into the whip, the Romans would tie in bits of bone and little pieces of metal, and they would, it, it was, it was absolutely barbaric. They would take this and they would take the criminal and they would take it and they would whip it and like set, set it in like it was, uh, like a fish hook, if you will, and just kind of ripping through the flesh. And so Jesus is getting beat. We don't know exactly how many times Jesus was beat. We know that, uh, that, that the Jewish, Jewish law said that you couldn't beat more than 39 times because 40 was known to kill a man, so they would stay safe and do it on 39. But it wasn't the Jewish that were doing it. It was the Romans. They had no, they had no, no rule against this. So they just took and they were beating Jesus. And I want you to catch your Savior. Your Savior is now coming up and he's, he's getting flogged. He's getting scourged. And they hand him over to be crucified. And as they hand him over, and Jesus comes before the crowd. Pilate says, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And of course, they want Barabbas. So even after that, so what Pilate had done, Pilate said, I'm going to, I'm going to put him up and show that, hey, you think this is a king? There's no way this guy's the king. He's innocent. Why don't you just let him go? And they were trying to get, Pilate was trying to get the crowd on his way because Pilate couldn't stand up to Rome. He couldn't stand up to, to the Sanhedrin. He just could not take this. I want you to know that your Jesus, your Savior, took this without defense. He took it without trying to get out of it, without, without putting his hands up and saying, stop. He just was quiet and he did it. Look here at verse 16. The soldiers took him away to the, into the palace. That is the praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. Pilate had a place that he stayed at in uh, in Jerusalem, remember he was he lives out in the Caesarea Maritime. So when he came into Jerusalem during these feasts, he had a little palace there. And in this Praetorium, all right, the Praetorium was a place uh, uh, into the palace, the Praetorium, where the, it says they called together the whole Roman cohort. A Roman cohort was six hundred soldiers. Now imagine the enormity of the situation. There's six hundred soldiers there because hey, this is Passover. This is this is the time that. Uh, that bad things could happen, like an uprising could happen. There's too much crowd. They needed crowd control everywhere they want. Because remember, the whole group of people were coming in. But here's Jesus. 
they take him and they throw him into the praetorium and they begin to play a game with him. These 600 soldiers. The soldiers took him into this area. Verse 17, they dress him up in purple. And then they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. Remember Caesar? You ever watch some of the biblical movies? You always see Caesar has like a little leaf, a, a, a ring of leaves on him. And it was like to mock. Hey, you think you're the king? Well, we'll show you what a crown is like. And they take the crown and they twist it and they put it onto his head. They began to acclaim, Hail, the king of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed, spitting on him, kneeling and bowing before him. So they're, they're making up like this pantomime of worship. Hail, king of the Jews. And it's total mockery. It's total, total uh, uh, destroying his name. After they mocked him, they took him, they took the purple robe off of him and put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And just think about that purple garment as they ripped that off after the blood that, excuse me, after the open wounds that had been all over his body, and just it's like ripping a bandaid reopen again. Man, the crown of thorns. I want you to think about the crown of thorns. Man, this was no, not just any little briar bush that you'd find in western Pennsylvania. Man, they took these nasty thorns and they made these thorns and they stuck it on his head and they said, okay, you say you're God. Oh, the king of the Jews. And they go through this whole thing. And so what happens here? We see that Jesus goes, uh, is about to go through on, on his head. He is wearing the consequences of Adam's sin. I want you to think about that. The consequences of Adam's sin were the thorns. It was uh, when, uh, the, uh, when, when Adam, the judgment was passed, he said that when you go out to grow things, it would be harder, there would be weeds, there would be thorns. And so here's Jesus wearing the consequence of Adam's sin on his head. He who had never sinned. The crown of thorns. Um, and, and you see, this is all about shame. And they're coming to him, and this is a lesson in shame. And Jesus does not respond back. You know, the physical sufferings of Christ have always been, and they will always remain a window for us to the heart of God. They have always been a window to the heart of God. It was a lesson that the readers of Mark needed to hear. Remember, Mark was writing to the, to the people in Rome. These believers that were under persecution. And man, they wanted to fight back all the time. And so they see here. They see here that their own master didn't fight back. Their own master just took it humbly. Verse 21, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. We're going to come back to him a little bit later. Then they brought him to the place of Golgotha which is translated the place of a skull. Many, many scholars believe that the hillside had uh, what looked like a skull in, into the hillside. Others, I've read other scholars believe that, man, this was a Roman crucifixion. They didn't dispose of the bodies very well afterwards. There were skulls laying around everywhere up there. Either way, it's a nasty place. The place of the skull. So they took him up to Calgotha, the place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Isn't that interesting? Remember what did they bring Jesus whenever Jesus was born? What were the three gifts? Gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. So they take this myrrh, and they, it was a numbing agent, and they, they mix it together with the wine, and they give it to him to drink. Uh, they, it would be a, a mixture of gall. And so as they give it to him to drink, he did not take it. 
He wouldn't drink it. And, and you say, well, why wouldn't he take it? Just a, a numbing agent as he's going down. This was common to give to the criminals. And Jesus is saying, no, listen, I want to know exactly what I'm doing. I'm paying the price for the sin of mankind. And I'm going to experience every last part of pain, decept- uh, the, every last part of pain, despair, and just total shame as he goes to the cross. They crucified him and they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for whom to decide, for them to decide which man should take. Verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified the two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. We're now roughly about nine o'clock in the morning. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, He was numbered among the transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, waging, uh, waging their heads and saying, ha, you who are, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also along with the scribes, they were mocking him. They were mocking him among themselves and they said, he saved others. He can't even save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified on either side of Jesus, they were hurling insults. And you see here, you see this shame. You see this mockery. And as you look at this mockery, like, man, I've always thought of the cross as the sacrifice. But I want to look at today the shame of the cross. Like, when you put somebody on a Roman crucifixion, it wasn't just to kill them. It was to totally shame them, to totally destroy everything about the memory of who that person was. This person committed a crime. They are to be destroyed. And so this is what Jesus was going through, yet he didn't commit the crime. He did no sin. Mockery will show us our hearts. I want to give you three thoughts, actually four thoughts here today, on the mockery of Jesus When we look at the mockery of Jesus, it it, it reveals something. It tells something about our own hearts. And I want you to catch that. I think I have that in the notes there. The mockery of Jesus tells us something about our own hearts. And so as you go and you're you're growing and you're knowing the Lord and you start to see, you come through this scripture and you say, all right, man, we see all this mockery. We see all this pain. I want you to catch this because as you look at the mockery, it's easy for us to dismiss everybody in there and to think that wouldn't be us. But I, I want to just bring to, bring to the thought, bring to the table today a few thoughts about mockery. Because as you look at the mockery and as you're reading the story, ask yourself, where am I in the story? Are you the religious leaders that are mocking him and saying, ah, oh, he has no power? Are you, are you the soldiers that, that just totally no regard for him whatsoever? Are, are you the crowd? Where, where, where are you in the story? Here's what happens. Mockery shows us two things about our own heart. Number one, it shows us that we struggle with the claims of Christ. We do. We struggle with the claims of Christ. Why were they mocking Jesus? Think about it. Were they mocking Jesus for the Sermon on the Mount? Were they mocking him for all of his good teaching? Were they mocking him for all the things that he had done, for all the healing, for the raising the sick, for making the lame to walk again, causing the blind to see? Were they mocking him for all that? No. What were they doing? It was the claim to be the king. It was the claim to be God. It was the claim that I and the Father are one. 
There is one way to get to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. That was the claim. There's only one way. And listen, folks, still to this day, we struggle with that claim. You see, they struggle with the claim that he's the Savior. He would replace this temple. He would rebuild the temple. Okay, now it's about Jesus. It's no longer about the way that they know how to get to God. And that's why they hated. And what happens is, as you look at this, you start to see the hostility. The magnitude of those claims brings out the hostility in all of our hearts. We begin to look at all the hostility and we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If he's God, what does that mean for me? What does that mean about the gods that I have been following, the small g's in your life, right? Most of you don't say, well, I follow any other god, but there are small g gods that everyone Get sidetracked on. Everybody says, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get bent up over this. We're gonna get bent up over that. And, and we begin to make other things take the priority in the place of God. We struggle with the claims of Christ. Lee Strobel in his book, The, um, the, the Real Jesus, he quotes a lady by the name of Anne Rice. Anne Rice wrote a book, Out of Egypt. Jesus Out of Egypt. And what she did was she, she had been a follower of Christ. At a young age, and then she walked away from the faith. She had heard about Jesus for years, and then she walked away from the faith. And then she uh, she had an interest later on in her adult life. After she had written, she written a number of interesting books. And uh, as she as she's making her journey back to Christ, she says, "I'm going to research and find out if this Jesus really existed." And so she goes on a, on, on a search to find out, did this Jesus really exist? And as she did, she starts to study the historical background of Jesus. And she finds out that there are a lot of people, a lot of scholars trying to get, uh, trying to get behind the, the, uh, the, the story of, of the gospel. Trying to get behind the gospel. Like, in other words, they're saying that, hey, listen, Jesus existed, but he's not God. For example, the Da Vinci Code, right? You go out and get into the Da Vinci Code, and what they'll do is they'll tell you that he actually existed, but they're not going to tell you that he's God. And she found out that there were people after people that she interviewed that had given their life to study the New Testament, but hated Jesus. Why? Because of his claim to be God. And if he is the only way, what does that say for my way? What does that say for your way? He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when it, it, she was stunned to, to learn that. And so today in our life, you know, we get, this, we get this thing where we want to be the master of our life. We want to be the master of our soul. Um, we, we want to call all the shots and all the decisions. So we struggle with the claims of Christ. The second thing, we, as we look at the mocking of Jesus, we struggle with the weakness of his ways. Like when Jesus came on the cross, it looked absolutely weak. I mean, here's your king. The king of the Jews is getting beat by the Romans. And, and the whip is lashing on him. And the blood is flowing. And flesh is hanging off of his, off of his back and off of his shoulders. Um, you see, it's not one way or the other. Either he's God or he's not. And as you look at him and you see him in weakness, many people said, well, and you see, as the scripture said there, these people said that, hey, uh, he can't be God. There's no horses and there's no power. God wouldn't do that. That's not how God would operate. And folks, this is what happens today in our own life. When we face weak times, here's what happens. When we face suffering in our life, we tend to mock, don't we? And here's how we do it. Well, God, 
God doesn't care. God wouldn't do that. And we say the very same things that the crowd was saying about Jesus. God wouldn't. As if we are superior. And listen, by the way, whenever you begin to mock, you have to be superior. Do you ever mock anybody? All right, let's try it again. (laughs) Honestly, anybody ever mock anybody? All right, 16 honest people in the church. (laughs) My goodness. It's okay, folks. You know what happens when you mock somebody? You mock them because you're superior, right? Well, let me tell you what I don't do. I don't go out on the golf course and brag. Well, let me show you how it's done. The Tiger Woods of Finleyville. I can't even hit a golf ball off of Cool Springs. I go down to Cool Springs and they come up and ask me, Sir, why did you throw the club out where the balls are being hit? Okay? I don't go in that environment and be superior because I'm not superior, right? I can't go picking on everybody else because of the golf. But what happens when we mock, we put our place and we put ourselves into the position of superiority. We say, hey, I am somebody. And so this is what they did at the cross. The crowd put themselves in a position of superiority. If he's God, God doesn't act like that. No way is he God. And you know what we do in our life? We do the same thing. If he was God, he wouldn't let this happen. And somehow we forget that he is God and I'm not God. You see, because if he's God, he gets to call the shots. And God works through weakness. Man, that, that concerns me many times that, uh, that we would say that, that. If God was with me, he wouldn't let that happen. Because you and I are facing bad things. There's a lot of bad things. But I'll tell you what, if we live, go through life like that, we miss the greatest thing that God was doing. Man, listen, God was doing some incredible things. It was a matter of fact, for Jesus to hang on the cross was the ultimate of strength. Look here. The mockery also shows us not only our hearts, but the heart of Christ. Like if you look into the mockery, so first of all, we see our struggle with the claims of Christ. Now as you look at the mockery of Jesus, it reveals to you his heart. And so as you look at his heart, Jesus was taking his shame and humiliation. And it was telling us what it was all, what he was all about. Verse 29, those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging, wagging their heads. Maybe I'm not pronouncing that right. Waging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also and the scribes, they were mocking him. They said, Ha! He saved, he saves others, but he can't save himself. Look at all the good things that he did, but he can't even rise. He can't get off the cross. He's stuck. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Everybody's hurling insults at him. And you know what? This is at the point. This is the point, my friends. If you were making a movie, this is where the hero comes in, right? This is where the hero. If you were writing a movie and it was going to go into the theaters, you would write it right here. And after they hurled all the insults, all of a sudden Jesus would come off the cross, right? And, and you'd sell tons and tons of movie tickets. I guess that's what you call it, right? You'd be big, big in the box office. But, but Jesus actually comes now, and, uh, and he doesn't do that. And he's going to show you that he's a bigger hero. 
You see, here's the problem. The people didn't realize how great that he really is. And we don't. We don't realize how great that he really is. For Jesus to stay on the cross was an ultimate of self-control. He had all the power of heaven. He could have called the angels, but he chose not to so that he could pay the price for my sin. You know what he was thinking 2,000 years ago on the cross? He was thinking about you. He's thinking about me. And he's not saying, hey, ha, you know, after he already went, went through it with the Father, he pleaded his case before the Father. Now he's pleading your case on the cross. And he's up there, he's dying, and it's the ultimate, ultimate, because he's going to go down, and he's going to go down in shame. And the people didn't understand how great he really is. And I'll tell you what, as we go through life and we say, well, God, you wouldn't do this. My, my marriage, well, God, you wouldn't do that. Uh, my job, God, you wouldn't let me suffer like that. And what happens is we interpret all the suffering, we interpret all the mockery, we interpret all the pain as though somehow God has abandoned us. In the meantime, God is wanting to work in ways that you've never thought possible. Like, it's okay if you want to have the blockbuster movie, Right? Well, listen, we've got something better than a blockbuster movie because our God went to the grave after he hung on the cross and could have come down. He chose not to. Three days later, he, you know, he's dead. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. And there is no box office that can come close to the story of the resurrection. Amen? Nothing can come close to the story of the resurrection. And Jesus had to do it. He had to go through this pain. But at this point on the cross, when he's hanging on the cross, this is where you and I are. We're in pain and we say, God, why? Why? And God says, listen, hang in there. You're about to see the expression of my power like you've never seen it. If you want to play games, you can play games. But if you want to see the power of God, you've got to go through this pain. Folks, there's pain in my life. Oh, I got a lot of pain. You got it too. Every one of you, if I were to sit down and interview each one of you, you'd say, man, I've got pain. You don't understand the pain in my life. You're right. I don't understand the pain in your life. And you don't understand the pain in mine. I know God does. And God says, man, I'm here. And what happened was they took Jesus on the cross. And he, they took him through shame. And you have to understand something. This, uh, this, this culture that day was all about your name. Somebody messes with your name. Don't you get upset? Somebody says something about your family name. What do you do? What's you talking about? Right? You, you're going you're gonna to take them down, right? There's no way. I can't believe you just said that. You know what they were doing to Jesus? They were taking his name down. Like in that culture, they, they came along and they said, you know, when, when, when you name somebody, you're going to name them after the character of that name. Like you want that character of that name to live out in your child. So your name was extremely important. You had a good name. You had a family name. You, you based everything on it. And you're, you know, like the children of, uh, of, uh, of Jacob, right? Of, of Abraham, Father Abraham, right? So you have your name turned into a laughing stock. When your name was turned into a laughing stock, it wasn't just what you're talking about. It was the end of the world. 
Like these people, like if you messed with their name, it was everything. And so for Jesus to hang on the cross in this culture and they take his name and they just totally destroy his name, they take everything down. Listen, on Good Friday, whenever you're looking at him on the cross, there's nothing good happening at that moment. The disciples are hiding. The disciples are watching at a distance. Everybody's saying, what is happening? Because it wasn't just a crucifixion. It was also shame. Crucifixion always brought shame. And to have your name destroyed was the worst thing that could happen. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's naked. They have just a loincloth on him. He's naked. It's, it's all about total shame, and he's the laughing stock. And you know what Jesus did? He took it. He took it. He didn't defend it. He didn't try to stop it. He took it. What's the pain in your life? What's the shame happening in your life? How often do you take it? Well, (laughs) that's not what's going to happen, right? God says, hey, listen. Listen, I'm about to do a miracle that's way bigger than you've ever seen. This was the greatest miracle in the history of the world, that Jesus was murdered, crucified, put in the grave. Three days later, he lives. This was the greatest display of power. He took it, though. When he had to take the shame, he took the shame. Psalms chapter 2 talks about, uh, about the shame from heaven. I love this. The, the, the scriptures tell us here in Psalm chapter 2 that, that there are nations that are in an uproar and the people's devising, people are devising a vain thing. In other words, they think they've got this going. The, the world thinks they know how to operate without God. And look what the scriptures tell us. That he who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. Ooh, I love this. Don't you love it when God is the victor? Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. Ooh, that's my God. And you know what? You and I deserve the shame. You and I deserve to be laughed at from heaven. But God took the shame so that you don't have to be laughed at. Ooh, Now you're talking, right? Now this is a little bit more than just going to heaven when you die, which that's a pretty big deal. I don't ever just say just going to heaven, right? That's only millions more years than you'll live on earth, right? But I want you to catch us. The shame. You don't have to live under the shame of your sin. Do you understand that sin creates shame? Every time you sin, there's shame to it, right? Most people don't sin out in the open. Most people sin in quiet. Most people sin in the dark. Most people sin at night. Most people sin when nobody knows, right? So it's that that sinfulness. And what happens is you and I sin, and with it comes shame. Whether it was a lie, whether it was any wickedness, whatever. You name it. You put. You pick the sin. It creates shame. And Jesus said, listen, I've, I've come to this earth. You deserve the shame, but Jesus took the shame. He didn't even sin, and he took the shame. Now, check this out. He never experienced shame until he was on the cross. He never did one, one thing wrong. He never experienced the shame. And Jesus, God tells us that on you, on him, on Jesus, our sin was laid upon him. And what did he do? He experienced the shame. The shame of your sin. He got to experience it. Isaiah 53, 3, 700 years before Jesus was on the earth. The prophet Isaiah said, he is despised and rejected. He's talking about what the Messiah would be like. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid. 
as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We didn't give him the time of day. We didn't even say, hey, it's okay. We walked away from the suffering servant of Jesus. Isaiah 56, again, 700 years earlier, Isaiah says, I gave, I gave my back to those who struck me. It's talking about how Jesus did not defend himself in the midst of the shame. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Anybody ever spit on your face? Oh, I don't mean from the front window of the car to the back window of the car. That happened in our car a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll stop there. That's kind of gross. I'm talking about somebody's mad at you and... What do you do? You come swinging, man. Jesus took it. And it was prophesied 700 years earlier that he would take it. And he took it so that you didn't have to experience the shame. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him, God made Jesus, him who knew no sin. He never once sinned to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You get to trade your sin for the righteousness of God. Now check that out. You say, how can that be fair? That's the plan God made. He says, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But I'm giving this to you. I have to go through the shame. Now, if you will trust, if you will trust my sacrifice, if you will trust it, that's what God's called us to do. You know, when we think of a name, man, oh day, a name can get drugged through the mud. But one day, I want you to know that God is going to give us all a new name. You had Saul, who persecuted the church after he came to Christ. He became Paul, became known as Paul. And we quote Paul all the time. I'm going to quote him here in just a little bit. But if you go over to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, and you read about this, there's a time in heaven. That, that Here's what's going to happen. It's in Revelation 2, 17, you can go look this up. This is mind-blowing. It says that God will give us all a little white stone with a name that only he knows in you. Now, isn't that awesome? Do you have nicknames for your kids? When I was growing up, my dad called me and my brother Yush and Stush. We weren't even Polish. I don't have a clue where he got that from. Okay? We were Heinz 57, but I was Yush, my brother was Stush. That was his term of endearment. I feel really loved. But I want you to catch it. You have little nicknames for your kids? You call them your princess. You call them this. You call them that. Uh, Hey, listen. God says that when we get to heaven, he's going to give you a name. And only you and God are going to know it. That's pretty intimate, isn't it? Like for me, it might be something that I was nothing on earth like. God might say, okay, you're finally here in heaven, and I'm done working with you because you're finally perfect. And God says, here's your new name, Ken. And I can't wait for that day. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you know what it means? It means that I no longer have to listen to the names that anybody calls me anymore. You no longer have to listen to the names that anybody calls you. You don't have to listen to those posts that are out there on Facebook that make you feel bad. You no longer have to listen to the, to the InstaTwit and all that stuff out there that is just destroying your mind because everybody's making you feel that they are superior and you're not. 
when you get to heaven and you pull out that name and you say, oh, from heaven, this is who I am. Wow, this is powerful stuff. Second Corinthians. I'm sorry. We're going to jump over here. Point number three. The mocking can actually change our hearts if you let it. The mockery of Jesus can change our hearts. And you say, well, how can it change the heart of man? How can it change our heart? It tends to make us hard. When we see suffering, when we see pain, when we see shame, we tend to, we tend to get mad, we tend to get angry, we tend to get upset. And as we're going down and we're, we're thinking about all these things, we are just really struggling because we say, man, these things make us hard. And God said, ah, no, 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 I want you to understand that in in my realm, the suffering is okay because I am working and I'm going to do something that you don't understand. Second Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul said it like this in verse 7. He said that there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but we know it caused pain. When you think of a thorn, you think of pain. But let me tell you what Paul was thinking of. He was thinking of the thorns on the head of Jesus. And when you're going through your suffering, I want you to not think of your suffering, but to think of the thorn on the head of Jesus. Because the Apostle Paul said like this, There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What did Jesus do in the garden? Three times. Lord, remove this excruciating. Lord, remove this thorn. Lord, let this cup pass from me. But Paul said this, that that God said to him, my grace, read the highlight with me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Folks, the way that the mockery of Jesus changes your life is by looking at the, looking at the, the hardships that you're going through, looking at the pain, looking at the suffering, and not weeping, not crying, not complaining, but coming before the Father and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand this. You are going to show me. You are going to be powerful. I may not even see it in this lifetime, but my, your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made uh, perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly whenever I have weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you ever do that when you're having a problem? Do you ever say, man, the power of God's on me today. Typically, we go to relieve the pain. And God says, I don't want you to relieve the pain. I want you to come to me. I want you to be in a relationship with me. And I want you to catch it because in the midst of your pain, I am going to do something that you've never, ever seen. Verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How do we have our heart changed? Remember the thorns. Remember the thorns of Jesus. No, not your thorn. As you're thinking about your thorn, remember the thorn of Jesus. As that crown was pushed on his head. And it just didn't sit there like we do in our place. They took a a scepter and they kept beating him. They took a stick and they kept beating it in. And it's just digging in and all the blood coming down his face. Scripture says that he'd be beaten beyond recognition. And he goes and he pays the price for your sin. 
the Apostle Paul remember the thorns. And I want to encourage you to do the same, to remember the thorns. And lastly, today, I want to also encourage you with this. Look for divine appointments in your time of disappointment. You see, all along, as Jesus was going to the cross, there were divine appointments. Peter tried to cut off the ear of the soldier. Uh, and uh, and what, what did Jesus do? He healed the man right there, right? Peter tried to cut off the head. He ended up bad at him and got an ear. Jesus puts the ear back on. Um, as he's going there, I want to encourage you. Jesus kept ministering in the midst of pain. And I want to show you this because the, the, the verse there, Luke fifteen twenty one, They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country. Simon of Cyrene, I, we have that on the screen, Luke fifteen twenty one. Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Like they, 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 they go before the cross and they, he says, well, hang on here, Luke fifteen twenty one. That's my fault. I'm saying all kind of things, huh? They pressed into a service a passerby coming from the country. Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Remember, the people in Rome knew who Alexander and Rufus were. Now check this out. Here's, what, here's the story of Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was in Africa. He come into town. Simon came into town. So if you go, go down the map, here's Jerusalem. Come south and come over across through Egypt over to Africa. In Libya is this town, Cyrene. Simon was in town. Why was he in town? It's Passover. This is the day that people are presenting their Passover lamb at the temple. And so he's making his way. He has no clue about this. He has no clue about the trial. He has no clue about all that God was going to do that day. But they say, you carry his cross. If he had been five minutes earlier or five minutes later, the whole story would have been changed for Simon. It would have been somebody else. But God had a divine appointment for Simon. And so Simon comes in, and they say, you carry his cross. And so they, they, Jesus is in shock. He's been flogged. And so as Jesus is walking, I want you to catch the scene. He's, he's, he can barely walk. He's going down, down to Golgotha, and as Simon is carrying the cross, what does Simon do? Simon comes down with the cross, and he's walking behind Jesus, and there are lessons that he learns from the back of Jesus. What are the lessons that he learns from the back of Jesus? He learns about humility. He learns about shame. He learns about so many things. And then if you go over into Romans chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Rufus, who has been chosen in the Lord, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Rufus and his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Paul, later on with the book of Romans, writes to the Romans and says, Hey, listen, greet Rufus. And I want you to catch what it was here. As he's telling them to greet Rufus, Simon of Cyrene, he had carried the cross. He walks down. He's walking behind Jesus. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he now stands there. He watches Jesus be crucified. He gets caught up on who this is. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He goes back and he spreads the word. And God does an incredible thing there through, uh, through Simon of Cyrene. And I want to encourage you today. The lesson for us to get is this. When you're going through those struggles and those pains, 
God is still working, and he still wants you to have your ministry. He wants you to do something. Listen, Jesus was ministering. He ministered to Cyrene that day. Cyrene came to Christ. You could say that he was the first African that came to Jesus Christ right there. He stood at the cross and he watched him. And we see that, hey, listen, the, the message of God was going to be spread all out. But God is doing something when you have no clue. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today. Would you respond to the Master? Maybe for you it's time to come to Christ. It's time to, time to trust Him. Maybe you've been mocking. Maybe you're saying, well, God, you wouldn't do that. God, if you were really God, that's not how God would work. God was working and about to do the greatest miracle ever. And I want to encourage you today. Would you humble yourself in the sight of a living God? And invite him into your life. If that's you, you've not done that yet. You've not trusted Christ. Would you pray something like this today to the Lord? Just quietly say something like this. Dear God, I come before you and I've been a mocker. I'm the one on the outside, Lord. And I didn't totally understand what you were doing for me. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. You paid the price for my sin. You came back to life again. And I trust you with my heart and soul right now. And for others in this room, maybe you've been following Christ for some time, but the pain of life is catching up to you. You've been looking at the weakness of his ways. And maybe you have forgot. Oh, you know the right answer. But putting your faith in the God who says this is the ultimate I'm going to be self-control and endure this pain so that I can pay the price and do the greatest miracle ever. What is the pain in your life? Where is God dealing with you today? Will you come to him today? Father, be with each person as we, as we respond in song today. Lord, as we leave this place, God, would you let these words, God, allow us to go home and reread these passages and And just let them sink in of the magnitude of the sacrifice that you did for us. God, I thank you that you paid the price. You paid the shame. And that you gave us a new name. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond?
joining us here this morning. For those of you online, thank you as well. In two weeks, that journey, we're going to finish up that journey. Please come back and join us as we finish that trip to the top. Please go in peace this morning. You are dismissed. Away and bonfire fire warms my heart under the night.